I, I love how God puts together things sometimes. The worship songs tonight are just so uh, perfect for what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, tonight we are going to talk about seasons. It is summertime, right? And summertime is great. It is the third week in August, which means summer's almost over. I know, right? I'm going to be the bearer of a lot of bad news tonight, I feel like. No, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. But, yeah, summer is almost over. I don't know about you, but my summer has been super, super busy. And some busy summers are great. Busy summers are awesome. But, yeah, that's really what's coming. September means fall's coming. And fall is awesome and all. Fall fall means that that we're going to do lots of great things, right? We're going to have... We're going to have... a lot of fun with our family. Like, I'm looking forward to this. My son is, is going on 16 months old. Um, and we just bought a house. And we have a backyard with, I think, an oak tree in it. And that means there's going to be leaves changing color. And I'm going to have to rake, which I'm not looking forward to. But, but we're going to have, um, we're going to have a big old pile of leaves. And I cannot wait. Although I'm not sure how my son's going to respond because he doesn't like sand. We put him in a sandbox recently. He was like, Get me away from that stuff. But but uh, I'm looking forward to putting him in a pile of leaves and seeing what he does and playing with him in those pile of leaves, right? So so as I anticipate fall, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also, in case you didn't know, looking forward to what I think all of us are looking forward to, which is holiday food, right? That's going to be awesome. And then, of course, football. I cannot wait for football. But it's funny, they, they put a picture up in the back, we can see what the slides are coming, and I have to tell you, last year I was a salesman for a battery company, and so that meant that I would visit um, ver- various uh, dealerships, and I, I remember visiting a DPW, and in the middle of August, it was about this time last year, I pulled up into uh, the DPW, and guess what was inside of their garages that they were working on? Snow plows in the middle of August. I was like, are you kidding me? And it just hit me right in the back of the head. Winter's coming. (laughs) In the middle of summer, you can put that photo up if you got it. It is coming. Like a big old snow plow. Is it going to come? No. Oh, that's horrible. That's horrible. That's okay. Yes, I had a picture of this huge old snow plow just throwing up a bunch of snow. It's coming, and that me- and so I don't know about you, but when I think about the seasons of life, as I think about the four seasons, rather, I think about how they come, like uh, I often think about these things that I, I look forward to, like I just said, and those bring a lot of anticipation of great things, but then also they inevitably um, bring me to memories of things that I did not look forward to and do not look forward to for that season. The seasons of light, uh, uh, our four seasons, they, they're often um, analogous to the seasons of life, right? Have you ever heard someone say, man, that was a tough season of life, or that was a great season of life? And I want to submit to you that today, as we think about the seasons of life, is just like the four seasons, they come largely outside of our control, right? They just naturally come. You can't do anything 
although Al Gore would like to say differently, you cannot do anything to cause the seasons to come quicker or to, to, uh, to end faster. We might contribute a little bit, okay, maybe, but I don't really know. I'm not a scientist. But either the way, in the midst of it, you see it coming, and there's nothing you're going to do to stop fall or to stop winter from coming. And the only thing we can do is make decisions in the midst of that about how to respond to it, but we can't do anything to make the seasons end quicker, although, can I get an amen, that we would want to get winter to end quicker? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just did a Robbie. Unbelievable. All right. Um, so, yeah, so, so I, I would love to be, that to be the case, but the same thing is true in the seasons of life. But I, what I mean by that is the seasons of life, they're like the circumstances of life that come, and they come largely outside of anything you've done to bring them. All right? And you might see them coming, or they might come upon you um, like, like a brick to the back of a head, right? Just bam, it's in the midst of your life. I mean, some of them are positive. Um, they could be the birth of a child, although you could contribute in some way to that. But the coming of that moment, you really don't have any control over. Or, or a birth of a grandchild, right? That's a great thing, and you look forward to it, that season that comes along with that. But they can also be super tragic, right? The death of a loved one. A miscarriage. A season of unemployment. I mean, I could go on. If I do, I'll start crying. And you know what happened last week, so I'm going to try not to do that. The seasons of life, like the four seasons, come largely out of our control. And sometimes these seasons are just like the four seasons in the, in the sense that we can do nothing uh, to really prevent them or to slow them down or to stop or to quicken them and to, and to uh, minimize the duration of those seasons. And when we see them coming, they can bring a mix of emotions just like the four seasons of life do. And we can have joy and anticipation, but we can also have a lot of anxiety, a lot of pain, a lot of struggle through it. And just like the four seasons, we can respond to those seasons of life. We can make decisions. Like in wintertime, we could move to Florida. We could be snowbirds and get out of here. And just like that, in the seasons of life that come, although we can't stop those circumstances and we can't end them, we can make decisions that will largely affect the direction that our life takes. And not only the direction of our life, but also our experience of our life in the midst of those circumstances. As Christians, we want the decisions we make in the midst of a season of life, good or bad, to be in line with God's will so that the direction our life takes lines up with God's will. And not only that, but we want our experience of, the, of, of our lives in the midst of that season to confirm that that is, in fact, God's will. See, I would submit to you today that, that God actually wants to meet with us in those seasons as they come. Because really, here's the idea. Here's the big idea. If you don't get anything else tonight, catch this. The seasons of life, especially the new seasons that come, they're actually opportunities for seeking God's presence and getting God's perspective. And if we get God's perspective in the middle of a season, whether good, whether bad, we can have confidence We can have peace. We can be encouraged to surrender our lives to God and his control and work. And we can even 
have direction. And to get our minds around this idea, this this big idea of the seasons of life being an opportunity for God's presence to be experienced and his perspective to be known, we're going to look at Psalm 121 together, as Chris had said earlier. And while you turn to Psalm 121, if you have not yet, I want to give you a little bit of an idea about what Psalm 121 is all about. Psalm 121 uh, is in the midst of about 14 or 15 psalms that could be titled the Songs of Ascension. And the reason they're titled that way is because they are meant to be, uh, to be used by uh, Old Testament, by Jewish pilgrims as they were making their way to Jerusalem, traveling long distances to Jerusalem uh, to prepare to worship at the temple in Jerusalem during a, during a festival holy day. And they would read these psalms, they would sing oftentimes these songs as they traveled or once they arrived in Jerusalem as a way to prepare their hearts for worship. So this is a a Old Testament version, if you will, of a modern day worship song. And it's a short psalm, it's only eight verses long. So it would be one of those modern day worship songs that has a chorus and that's all it has and it just repeats over and over and over and over again. And, and the reason it's doing that is because it's got really only four simple truths. But they're not just simple truths. They're what I have liked, as those that I've talked to about this passage have liked to call deeply simple truths. And the reason they repeat over and over again, the reason it's so short is because those deeply simple truths have such a profound impact on our heart and our relationship with our God. See, because it's the deeply simple truths that typically have the most profound impact on our lives. I love deep study. I mean, I love to get into a text and and exegete the text. I love to look at the original language and help it kind of bring out the flavor of the text. I love to study theology. I mean, systematic theology, dogmatic theology, historical theology, biblical theology, theology, theology. I love it. I love it. I really do. I mean, I love to kind of see how all of that just kind of helps me understand um, how and, and sift through it and see really where the Bible actually uh, agrees with some of these systems that have been created. I love all of that, but I tell you what, in the middle of a tough season of my life, it has not been my flavor of, um, of soteriology that's made an impact on my heart. It has been the deeply simple truths of God and his presence in my life that have made the most impact on my heart at that time. The same is true for you and I. And here's what I mean by that. See, I, it's like being with my wife, right? In the midst of a tough moment, it's, I'm not thinking about all the great things I've learned about Jen and how awesome I think she really is and how all of the ways that I could list off how awesome she is. In the moment of a tough season, I just want to know that she is there. And not, and, and in the moment of experiencing that she's there with me, I know and experience her personal concern. For me and what we're going through or what I'm going through. Her partnership with me through that. Her help for me. Her goodness. Her love. And the same is true of God and Psalm 121 as a passage full of deeply simple truths about just that. It's meant to meet you in your time of need and bring you straight to the heart of experiencing your relationship with God. 
So if you're ready, let's now get in to Psalm 121. Read verse 1 with me. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? So to do this text today, we're going to imagine we are the Jewish pilgrim. We're going to imagine we're on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so that means that I want you to imagine that you are traveling like a pilgrim would from a long distance away to Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about, about the Palestinian region, you know that that is both mountainous and desert terrain. There's multiple various, various terrains there. And you've got to remember that, that you are not just yourself traveling, but you have been traveling with, with uh, money because you've been traveling with food uh, because you're even going to give that at the temple, let alone just eat it on your way. You're traveling with your livestock, which at that time would have been your, love, your livelihood in addition to your, to your money. And you were traveling, oh, with, by the way, your family. Why? Because you're going to make sacrifices on behalf of your family with you. So you're traveling with pretty much everything that's of value to you, you have with you. And as you're traveling through that, you're traveling through, through t- terrible terrain, that could have a huge impact on the potential of whether or not you ever make it there all the way to Jerusalem. And it's not just the terrain that you got to deal with. You also have to deal with the fact that you're not the only person traveling. Remember, it's, it's a calendar time of year. There are plenty of pilgrims traveling with you or in caravan to uh, Jerusalem. And there are not just people traveling to Jerusalem, but there are people who know you are traveling to Jerusalem. And they are there to exploit that fact. They're there to take advantage of you. And you remember as you're traveling, are we going to have enough food? Are we going to have enough water? Are we going to make it? What happens if the next caravan in front of us gets beyond us? What happens if we're alone? And what happens? You look up to the mountains, you start to look up to the mountains, and you see smoke rising from some of those mountains. And you know some of those are, are altars to pagan gods. And maybe for a moment... You're tempted, maybe I should go just make a quick traveling offering. I know, I know, maybe just for good luck. And then you're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to, to worship who I know I'm worshiping. No, I'm not going to do that. But maybe you start to look up and you say, oh, wait, wait, wait. Maybe those aren't altars. Maybe that's the smoke of a camp, of a bandit. And you start to get nervous because you realize if they are on that high ground, they have a strategic advantage to descend that high ground fast. And you are at a uh, a strategic um, disadvantage because you are in a low country and your running is about half the speed that they're going to make. And so they're going to get on you pretty quick. And so now you start looking for where you can find help. Maybe you're looking to one of the other mountains. i got to ascend that one. And you start to remember that the mountains also also provide a strategic advantage if you were on top of them. You could see for miles and you could see who's coming. And not only that, if someone was to try to ascend the hill to you, you could attack them or you could run down and you would gain some, some speed heading down. So as you look to those mountains, suddenly you're reminded, wait a minute. Read verse 2. My help comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. Suddenly you remember who made those mountains. You are looking at the mountains and remembering the creator. And his power is universal. His power is unstoppable. And he is more than a creator. Because you are 
a child of God. He is your personal, loving Father. And He's promised to be your personal helper. See, the journey and the unexpected moments, even the worst expectations, when those circumstances come out, the reality of your great neediness becomes clear. See, the seasons of life, they really expose our great neediness. But in that moment, the opportunity for perspective can be found there. See, for the Christian, God is our loving Father who is always there to help. And such seasonal changes, they can teach us about ourselves. We are needy people who, if we're really honest, do not have a whole lot of resources to muster up even enough to take care of ourselves, let alone anybody else. And in the midst of a travel, of a, of a traveling pilgrimage from your home country to Jerusalem, it is very clear just how little you can actually do to help your family in a moment of a, of a crisis. And so you are looking for help. And you remember your Heavenly Father is always there to help. Maybe you're even reminded that Jerusalem itself is established on a mountain. It's seated about 2,700 feet above sea level. And so you're reminded, oh yeah, I'm going to worship God on his mountain in light and in response to how he has just met you in your moment of concern, that he is there to help, you're moved to worship. Have you ever come to church like that, where you have, you've had a fear or you've had something exposed in your life and God has come right there and you are ready now to come and to worship? Well, that's where this pilgrim is at. And so the worshiper goes on in verse 3, says... He will not allow your foot to slip. I want you to notice somebody something. He who keeps you will not slumber. Take a look at this. The pronouns change in verse 1 and 2. In verse 1 and 2, it goes from I and my to verse 3 and on, you and your. Now you might be wondering, why does it do that? It could, be, it could be multiple reasons. One, the, the writer of this could recognize that God is, or, or that, that God's going to use this, or that there's going to be other people who are going to be reading it, so maybe that's why he's done it. But I think it's for another reason. I think it's for the fact that the, that the writer of this psalm is, is in the middle of a, of a season, a tough season, a, a, a moment of uncertainty as he's traveling, and he is tempted to think Things that are not helpful for him. And so he needs to get perspective. And so if I may say it this way, he is speaking the truth to himself. See, because our emotions are often the result of what we think about reality. And in the moment of an uncertain situation, we are tempted to think things and go all kinds of places. And as a result, our emotions will then go all kinds of places. And so the author begins speaking truth to his heart so that he can think accurately about his circumstances. And the same is true for us. In the seasons of life, we need to tell ourselves the truth so that our thoughts and emotions can match reality. The best way to do that The best way to think truthfully is to think biblically. And so we need to focus on the truth. 
so that we can remember God's perspective. And to get, his, to get our thinking clear, to get an accurate perspective of our situation. And so the writer transitions in his text, and he transitions to speaking directly to his own heart because he sees that the seasons of life, good or bad, are opportunities for getting God's presence, for, for, for experiencing his presence and getting his perspective. And he knows that if he can do that, he can get confidence, he can have peace, he can, be, he can surrender his life to the Lord, and he can get direction. He knows he needs God, and God's there to help. So consider you're on the journey again with me, right? What happens next if you don't take the right path? Think about that. If you, as, as you're on the journey, not only do you, do you think about all of the people that, are, that could potentially hurt you, potentially think about all of the, the ways um, that the terrain uh, could have an impact on you, but then you realize, what happens if the caravan in front of me gets out of my sight, and I'm following the beaten path, and I notice there's another path. How do I know which path to take? What happens if I take the wrong path, and I take a step, and another step? How many steps do I have to take before I realize that I've taken the wrong, the wrong direction? Have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation like that, where you've got multiple options before you, things, decisions that you need to make, Maybe, maybe the, the decisions you need to make are related to a career path. Maybe, maybe you've got multiple job offers, right? Um, and you're considering those. Maybe one of them is across the, the country. Or, or maybe, maybe it's looking at schools. Or, 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 or maybe it's even like your young child who's considering what college to go to. Or, or they've graduated from college and now they're deciding what, what uh, job to take. And they've asked you for advice. And so you're standing there trying to think through that. And if you think about the fact that when you make that decision, if it's going across country, that's not just the very direction of your life. It's going to affect the very end of your life. And it's not just going to affect the end of your life. It's going to affect not just yours, but your family's life. And maybe when your life ends, it's not just going to affect them, but it's going to affect their children and the children after them, all because of a decision you made and a direction you took. Oh my goodness, that's overwhelming. That can bring a lot of anxiety. Well, in a moment like that, God comes true, comes through with the simple truth of this passage. God is there. And he knows exactly what's happening. See, for the Christian, God is always personally involved. And his care is tireless. Notice verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Oh my goodness, do you realize, as the writer is in this midst, his, the anxiety is rising. He's trying to calm himself down. He's trying to get his thoughts totally in line with reality. If you have ever worried that God does not know what was going on, he is able to pay attention to every detail of every person of the family of God. That's what the text says. It says, he who keeps Israel will not slumber or sleep. He can take care of all of Israel. He can take care of you. He's able to not only do that, but he's going to take care of every single child and he won't grow tired of doing it. He does not grow weary like a man would. As a matter of fact, I just love, there's one passage that just really kind of 
explains, it, 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 goes, it goes right to the heart of what this, thing, this passage says, talking about your foot not slipping. It's in, it's in 1 Samuel, it's chapter 2, verse 9. It's, it's in the middle of a prayer of praise from a woman by the name of Hannah. Y'all know Hannah, right? Hannah was married uh, to, to a man who had another wife. And that's another sermon for another time. But I will say this, what a horrible situation to be in. I mean, talk about insecurity. I mean, how do you know that you're the one that, that he wants? I mean, how do you feel secure in a relationship when you've got another person who's vying for the attention, who's actually got your, all of it, right? Like, I mean, how does that work? And it gets worse. Hannah was childless. And guess what? The other wife, she was having children. And in that time, in those days, the worth of a woman was established by her ability to make children. So there's a woman in the midst of a situation, a season of life, and all, and there's nothing happening in her life that would give her any sense of personal worth or security in her relationship. And she begged God to give her a child. And God did. And in response to worship, his name was Samuel, by the way. In response to worship, uh, to the God who answered her prayer, she comes to the temple and she gives him a way to become a priest in service to God. Like, God, thanks for giving me a child. Now he can serve you. And in the midst of this, she writes this prayer and she says something so profound in verse 9. She says, he, speaking of God, keeps the feet of his godly ones. It sounds just like the passage in Psalm 121. And when you realize it in the midst of that, I think that what she realized in that situation was that it wasn't just God coming through to answer her prayer. But it was that God was with her throughout the toughest season of her life. And she looks back on it now and she sees that it was God who established her worth. And it was God who said, you are secure in me. So I don't don't know where you're at. I don't know what decision you're faced with. But whatever your circumstances, whatever season of life you're in, the simple truth is this. Your heavenly father is always present And he never stops personally caring for you. I just want to let you have that sink into your heart and soul for a minute. And as you do, I want to give you three thoughts that, three implications that come through with a thought like that. Whatever the season, whatever you're going through, not only does God know what's going on, he can handle it. And so because of that, there's these three thoughts. One, God does not get tired as he walks through life with you. Whatever you're going through, he's not tired. And he does not get tired of you going through it and him going through it with you. Two, God does not abandon you if you make the wrong decision. That's a huge one. That passage, Psalm 121, says he will not let your foot slip. There's some pretty strong implications of that as we get to the end of this text. But what it at the very least means is that if, even if you make the wrong decision, even if you, you sin, God does not say, oh, that's it, I'm done with you. He does not abandon his children. Which brings me, by the way, to my third point. God does not get sick of you. I know, right? Is that not awesome? Not only is he always there to help and tirelessly involved, never getting sick and tired of living life with you. And I feel like I get sick and tired of living life with myself. You know what I mean? 
Uh, he does not. Notice verse 5 with me. Let's go on. Verse 5, it says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So as we are traveling, remember we are traveling to Jerusalem, we have now arrived. And as pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem, they would travel down the Jordan Valley southward. And as they would get in line with, uh, with Jerusalem, as they traveled southward, they would then turn westward. And as they would turn west, if they were ascending the road up to Jerusalem at that time, especially if they were doing it in the morning, the sun would be rising from the east and would be hitting their left side. And it would be blistering on their body. It's because the sun in Jerusalem is hot, right? And as it's blistering on their body, the right side would not be being hit by the sun, and so it would be shaded. And and in this text, the man's mind seems to liken this to the Lord, whose presence is providing comfort and protection. And I'm going to give you the simple truth that your Heavenly Father will always protect you. And he is reminded of that as he is heading up the hill. You are reminded of that as you're heading up the hill to uh, Jerusalem. And see, it's, it's a reminder that God is faithful and his presence is constant. And we'll go into why as I jump into some text with you. Notice Psalm 91, uh, verse 4. Psalm 91, verse 4 says this. It says, He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness... Is a shield and a bulwark. See, it's God's faithful, tireless care. And because of that, God is likened to a shield of your life. Notice Isaiah 25, what Isaiah 25 says. In verse 4, it says, For you have been, you, speaking of God, have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress. Talk about seasons. A refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm. Against a wall. Do you notice? Notice all the ways God is described in that passage. One, he's described as a defender of the helpless. Do you feel helpless? God is your defender. He's a defender of the distressed and the needy. Is that you today? God is your defender. It goes on and it says that he's a refuge, a shelter, and a shade. Sometimes the seasons of life feel like a storm. Like it's just a torrent around you and you have no control over it. In this passage, he is described as a shelter and a shade. It goes even farther than that. and the end of the text, it says that he is like a wall in a rainstorm. Now, how many of you have been through a hurricane before? Wow, that's pretty wild. I lived in Orlando, Florida, uh, and I worked for Disney World, which was really cool. But I lived in an apartment complex uh, at the time when Hurricane Charlie actually swept over the entire uh, peninsula of Florida and went right through central Florida. And it was incredible, a wild time. I remember hanging out with my friends, and we, in our apartment complex, we just were just hunkering down, waiting through the storm. And we had these huge picture windows, and the way the apartment was set up, the picture windows were in the living room, and, and then there was the kitchen, and we were sitting at the table, hanging out at the table. And as the, as the, the storm started coming, I remember watching the windows starting to do this. And they started to shake even more and more and more and more, right? And so I remember sitting there and I started to get a little uneasy because I realized glass isn't supposed to do that. <laughs> and if, if it did it too much, there was a possibility that that glass might break. And if it broke, it was going all kinds of directions. And I was exposed. 
in that. I did not feel safe in that moment. So guess what I started to do? I started looking for help. And what did I do? I looked over to the right, and guess what was there? Four walls and a ceiling. It had a toilet and a, st- and a shower stall in it. And guess where I was tempted to go? Right into that shower stall. And you know why? Because in that situation, I had the best opportunity for covering against whatever that storm was going to throw at me. And I knew if there and there, I would be safe from the kind of debris that would come from a storm. In this passage, God is described just like those walls. No matter what's going on, the chaos outside, if I had gotten in that tub, I would have had the best chance to be safe. I would have been very safe from the kind of debris that was flying out there. Even if those windows shattered, I would be in that room and I'd be safe from that glass. And God is described just like that. No matter what kind of circumstances are going on in your life, no matter the kind of chaos that's going on in your life, God is like a wall in a storm. You know, the right hand to an ancient would have described their place of need. See, to an ancient, the right hand is what you use for everything. It was, it was basically um, your, your means of livelihood. If you had no right hand, you were handicapped. And so for God to be the shade at your right hand to the ancient mind would have meant to your ancient mind, if you're a pilgrim traveling like they were at this time, it would have reminded you that God actually knows And protects your deepest needs. See the seasons of life that we have little control over. They expose those needs. Those are basic needs like the need for love and acceptance. The need for a sense of significance and worth. The need for a sense of security. And the problem is we often look to our circumstances and our relationships to establish those needs. To give us those sense of needs. And the reality is the seasons of life expose the very fact that no kind of circumstances in life will ever meet those needs. And no relationship in life will ever meet those needs except for your relationship with God. See, in those seasons of life, in the midst of uncertain moments, God can meet you and say, I know your deepest needs and I will protect you and care for you. They will always be met. By me. I'm here for you. And I just love, I just love how verse 6 goes on and explains and, and builds on this. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. Do you realize? It goes on and it says, The Lord, the sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night, that he's now talking about the day's. Uh, changing night and day. And he's saying that God's protection is a day and night, never-ending presence and protection. See, the simple truth is that God will always protect you. And if we really understand that, what he's saying, remember, Jesus is not saying that you're going to get favorable circumstances. He's not saying that the, se- that the tough seasons of life are not going to come. I mean, Jesus at one time said, uh, do not fear the one that can kill you. But he didn't say, because he won't kill you. He said, fear him who can send your soul to hell. See, because the kind of protection, the kind of care that God is offering us is not a this kind of life, save us from our circumstances kind of life. Kind of protection. It's a always, never-ending kind of 
protection. And we'll go on as to why. But if we really start to grapple and understand that and let that sink deep down in our heart, it will bring a sense of fearlessness and even gladness. I want you to notice a passage, Psalm 16, uh, verse 8 and 9, that also kind of builds on that. Psalm 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord continually before me. Why? Because he is at my right hand, my place of need, and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, and my flesh also will dwell securely. See, not only is your father always there to help, not only will he never stop caring for you, not only uh, will he never stop protecting you, but now as you consider your journey back home and God has met you as you have come and now worshipped worshipped him with a heart full of worship, you are now ready to return home. And as you return home, and you have just met with the Lord, and he's met you in these moments of uncertain circumstances and, and brought perspective and his presence into your heart, you all of a sudden remember you have the same kind of journey ahead of you. Moments through deserts and mountains, and you have people who are looking to take advantage of you once more. And isn't that the way it works in life? You make it through one horrible season and, uh, and you've experienced the presence of God and you've gotten perspective of how God has worked, usually after the fact. And then you're there and you're now ready and on fire for Jesus and then, boom, there's another season right on top of you. And you are tempted again to question, is God going to come through? Can I make it again? You're tempted To forget how God came through before. And for the writer, he reminds himself of the truth. And we need to, as we're these pilgrims heading back, remember that in that moment, God says this. Read verse 7 and 8 with me. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. See, the deeply simple truth is this. Your heavenly Father will bring you safely home to him. That word protect in verse 7 in our, in our, uh, in our translation could also be translated preserve or keep. In the original language, it means to attend to carefully. And by that, it means that God has employed all means to protect you. Notice Psalm 91 again in verse 10 and 11, it says this, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Now, Notice how he's using all means in this passage. He's saying that it's very possible that God may even have angels assigned to guard you. Some Bible scholars actually think they would take this text, along with a litany of others, very few by the way, uh, to say that, that God has actually assigned a guardian angel to every single believer. Whether or not that's true, what we know is this, that God will employ all means, even angels, to protect you. Why? Because he is the guardian of your soul. Remember, I want to go back to the point to say that that should give you a sense of security no matter the circumstances, because the circumstances do not define your security. 
The circumstances are not necessarily what God is saying he's going to protect you from. What he's saying is that your eternal status, your destiny, your status as a child of his is secure. See John chapter 10 with me. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 10. In verse 27, Jesus says these words. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I will give them eternal life. And they will, what? Never perish. And no one, who will? No one. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Who? All. He's greater than all. And no one, who? No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You know, one commentator said this about Psalm 121. He said that the idea is that God's presence and protection in this present life is a prelude to the eternal life that he has given us. See, at the very least, the seasons of life should remind you that this is not my home. But my home is secure and I am going there. And that the intimate protection of the most intimate places of your life are secure in God. He shall preserve your soul. Nothing and no one can take your relationship away uh, that you have with your Heavenly Father. You know, Paul knew something about unfavorable circumstances and seasons of life. He, he, uh, he described them in one, in one letter that he wrote. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He described it in verse 24. He says this. Talk about seasons of life. Listen to these. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, which means he was left for dead. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and the night I spent in the deep. That means he was, he was a whole day and a whole night in the waters just, just, just hanging out. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea. Where was he not in danger? Dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor. That means he was a slave. In hard and hardship. Through many sleepless nights. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. Oh, and apart from that, listen to this. Apart from such external pressures... There is inside of me this daily pressure of concern for the churches. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't think any season in my life is that bad. I don't think I've ever had any season, like any of those seasons. And I don't think any of us here can actually raise our hands and say we've had those kind of circumstances. It might felt like it sometimes we've had those circumstances, but nothing of that level. And from that experience, from that perspective... Paul spoke with confidence to every Christian, no matter their circumstances, when he wrote in Romans 8 and said these words. Romans 8, verse 28 says this, And we know, talk about confidence, that God causes all things in our situation, in our context here, causes all seasons to work together for the good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, 
He also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to such seasons? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Jump down to verse 37. But in all these things, all these seasons, we are overwhelmingly, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life or any season of it, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. From the beginning of your life pilgrimage to the end, from the start of one season to the end, the deeply simple truth is this. Your heavenly Father will safely bring you all the way through to the end of life and home to him. I just want to let you, just let the knowledge of his presence and the total security of your life just meet you right now in the deep places of your heart. Because the seasons of life are actually opportunities for experiencing God's presence and getting his perspective. And if we get his perspective and experience his presence, we will have confidence well up from our hearts. And we will have peace. And we will surrender our lives afresh to God. And we may even have direction for how to respond to the season. And so you might be getting to this point, you might be saying, okay, well, what does that look like and how does that work? Well, I would say it this way. As the seasons of life come, as the seasons come that you realize are out of your control and you probably want them to end and you would do anything to get them to end, let that desire expose the truth of who you are. You and I are needy. We are desperately needy. And our circumstances do not give us the things we need. And the relationships we have with other people do not satisfy those needs. But as that season exposes that, let it also train your mind to focus on who God is. He's the one who always comes through. And I want to be careful as I say that. He's not going to come through necessarily in the way you think that means. If if that means that your season needs to end. But he's going to come through and remind you that he's personally involved and he will use that season for your good and you are forever secure as his kid. See, the ultimate point of using the circumstances to train our mind is to think accurately, right? That this life in favorable circumstances and enjoyable seasons and even obtaining the desired end that we would have for our lives is not the point God himself is the point of life, and every season is meant to point us to him. See, the confidence of the psalmist in the midst of his his pilgrimage was the destination point, and the destination point was not Jerusalem, but it was the God who resided on the tabernacle, or in the tabernacle, or in the temple in Jerusalem. He was going to worship God. And it should be the same with us. 
God is meant to be the destination point of all of our life and all of our experiences, all of our seasons. But remembering simple truths in these seasons of life, they can give us perspective, they can give us confidence, and if they do, it can be so empowering. It can remind us that he's always there to help. Not only that, but that he'll never stop caring, and that he will always protect us, and that he, we will one day make it all the way home to him. Not only will this give us confidence, but these simple truths will give us peace and encourage us to surrender and even give us hope. And I would say that this passage, and the reason I share this passage with you is because God has used it at multiple points in my life. One of the first times it happened was when I was met uh, with multiple decisions that needed to be made. It was the first time in my life that I actually had multiple career choices ahead of me. And that both of those career, it was at least two of them, and both of those career choices would have been right in line with who I thought God had made me to be and what I thought God wanted me to do. But I realized that whatever decision I made, it would lead to my life ending in two drastically different places. And I couldn't get that out of my mind. I couldn't get over that. At the time, I was, I was studying the Bible, and I was in the midst of class, and I was, I was in class learning about God's Word, and I couldn't even focus on it because all I was doing was thinking about what my life would be like if I did that and what my life would be like if I did the, did the other thing. And it was just wrecking me. And in that time, I had developed a practice of, of walking and praying, and so I had done that um, after I had ate lunch. And I had walked up to uh, the place where this college was, um, was on the lake uh, with mountains all around it. And so I remembered walking up to the beach, and I looked at the beach, and I looked across as I was praying, and I saw the mountains. And I was reminded that there's a passage that talks about looking to the mountains and finding help coming from the Lord. And I found Psalm 121. And as I started reading Psalm 121, it was particularly Psalm 121 coming into verse 3 where it said, He will not allow your foot to slip. That I, was, that I realized, wait a minute, whatever decision I make, both of these are in line with God's will. And as I went further down and read verses 7 and 8, He will protect me and keep me, uh, preserve my soul. And He knows my going out and my coming in, my, my coming in and going out. What I realized was, there was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders that whatever end my life had, the God who was personally involved and tirelessly caring for me would make both of them fit in such a way that it was exactly what God wanted for my life. I didn't take the responsibility off of me being being wise, but what it did was it said, "Ah, I don't have to make this decision right now. And God, you are in control, and I surrendered to his control, and I worshipped God on that beach. And there's been multiple points in my life where this passage has come and reminded me again, in the, most, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of horrible moments, in the midst when I realized there was nothing I could do for myself or for the, my loved ones in that situation, it was turning to these truths and knowing that God is right there and will always help me, that God will tirelessly care for me, that God will protect me, and that one day I will be home with him and that he would make even this season of my life fit, that that gave me such peace and gave me confidence of what God was doing in the middle of that, and I worshipped from my heart in that time, and I made some decisions. Just like this psalm was meant to prepare the people for worship as they head to Jerusalem. 
the same thing is meant for us. And you and I, in the midst of the seasons of life, need to remember not only who we are, but who God is. And we need to choose surrender. We need to choose surrender to the one who's ultimately involved in our lives. Choose to obey him whatever we understand him to be requiring of us in that season of life. And we need to do it. I could say it like this. It's almost like these, these simple truths could be boiled down um, into one statement. You're asking, how do, I, how do I apply this? How does this happen in the season that you're in, in the seasons of life maybe that are coming? The, the way you could respond is by starting with this one statement. God is here and is involved right now. So I'm choosing to go through this season of life with the one who knows its beginning from its end. God is here and is involved in this season of my life right now. So I'm going to choose to go through with him, the one who knows its beginning from its end. One commentator said that the Psalms are meant to be read with the gospel as its interpretive lens. And by that, what I mean is that the person of Jesus and the principles of truth and grace and, and his work on the cross and his resurrection, his ascension and his coming are meant, to be, are meant to be used as the interpretive lens by which you see the Psalms. And if you do that, Psalm 121 actually becomes an expression of, gos- of gospel confidence, if you will, resulting in peace. Because you're looking ultimately to Jesus who gives you the full confidence in God. And what I mean by that is that I know this. That there was a time when you and I were orphans before God. That you and I were actually hopeless, helpless, totally helpless and insecure. No ability to help ourselves and, and totally insecure and unprotected because we had no family and no home. And God sent his son. Jesus, the son of God, became the son of man. And there was a moment when his heavenly father stopped caring for him. Stopped helping him and stopped caring for him. There was a moment when he stopped protecting him. And in that moment, he was abandoned and lost and he perished. So that the one thing that kept you and I abandoned and orphaned before God, was totally dealt with. So that those of us who would turn in faith to Jesus Christ would be secure children of God because Jesus has already been abandoned, totally perished and lost. You and I can know that God is our Father who is always there to help us, who will always tirelessly care for us and protect us, and we will Make it home to him because of Jesus. See, there is coming a day when the beginning of our life will meet its end. And the seasons of life will be a tapestry of what God has done. And we will meet our God and be home. And the seasons of life are meant to prepare us for that moment. God is here and is involved right now. So will you choose to go through the seasons of life, whatever they are, or whatever season you anticipate is coming, with the one who knows its beginning from its end? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we worship you tonight. We worship you this weekend, knowing that because of Jesus... 
and what he has done to totally deal with the one thing that made us orphans. We are now your sons and daughters by faith in Jesus. And so maybe there's someone here tonight. Maybe there's someone here tonight who would say that they're in the midst of a season and they realize that they do not have an answer to their neediness. They cannot say that you are their father. And they do not have the kind of confidence and peace that you have provided through Jesus. I pray, if that's you tonight, you would just acknowledge that the thing that separates you from God tonight is your sin. And that God has provided a Savior. Jesus has taken the penalty for your sin. And would you just say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And that you've dealt with my sin problem. So that I could have God be my father. If you pray that from your heart, you can trust God will save you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're in the midst of a horrible season or, or even maybe it's just, a, it's just one of those kind of iffy seasons and, and you would like it to be different. Whatever's going on, I just pray for you, my friend, tonight that you would see yourself for who you are needy, but see the one who has given you himself and who always comes through. That he loves you. He will always help you, tirelessly care for you, protect you, and you are his child. And you will one day be home with him. So God, meet us in our places of need. Meet us in our seasons of life and give us the confidence of your presence and the perspective we need to worship you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.